the past two Sundays, messages have focused on our role and responsibility in restoring God's creation to his original design of good. And we always think of good as not quite as good as great, but this is God's definition of good, right? This is according to his definition of good, of pure and flawless and holy. And we're gonna continue to study by considering some of the lessons from scripture. Now, in almost four years as your pastor, I have yet to recycle a single message. I have some common things because there's things that I need to hear as well, but I've yet to just pull something out and then redo it again. But you guys might recognize this slide. It's an old one. January 20th, 2018 was the original message, Who Am I in His Story? And that's a little play on words, his story, history, right? Um, during that message, we read some stories from Scripture and, and looked at them from different perspectives than the way we're accustomed to doing. Specifically, we looked at some of the parables that Jesus used to teach the disciples and ultimately teach us some lessons. Now, it's been said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The Lord Jesus frequently used parables as a means of illustrating profound divine truths. And such stories are easily remembered. You know, there's usually a, a bold character and, and a symbolism, and, and not everybody got it. And, and Jesus taught in, in this, and the people that needed to understand the parable understood it. But he said it wasn't for everybody to understand yet. And there were common teaching in Judaism. And before a, a certain point in his ministry, Jesus employed a lot of graphic analogies, right? The, you are the salt of the earth. You know, the, the bread, you are the sheep. And then, and, and that was very clear what the meaning was. And then he kind of shifted to, to parables. And they require a little more explanation and a little deeper thought. And honestly, it's a lot of fun uh, with the interpretation of, of what they are. But we all often get focused on the main character, or who we think the main character is. And this, this painting up here is actually the, the, the prodigal, I'm not the prodigal son, I'm sorry, the Good Samaritan. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? We'll come back to that in just a moment. But we read during that message through the stories of the prodigal son. This is one we're familiar with, and it's, it's found in Luke 15. And, and I want to encourage you to, to read that on your own and really get in depth. It's not a, a terribly long story, but it's a good one, the prodigal son. And it, it tells the story of a man who had two sons. And one son approached the father and asked for his inheritance early. And he quickly went off and squandered it in a foreign land, right? Prodigal, I used to think the word prodigal meant, this is the guy that came back, but the prodigal is the one that, who guy, right? This is the prodigal son. And he, he squandered it in a foreign land, and a famine hit that land. And, and that son was, who would just live this lavish lifestyle under his father's house and then on his own with his inheritance, found himself broke and hungry to the point that he considered eating, as Scripture says, the slop that he was feeding the pigs in the field. He had humbled himself or been humbled to the point that he had to go get a job just feeding pigs in the field. And he said, I would love to eat some of that food. That's how hungry I am. And then the New International Version says, I quote, he came to his senses and remembered that his own father's servants had plenty of food. So he would humble himself and return to the father and willing to be an employee, not just a son. You know, he said, just let me come work for you. And you remember how the story goes. His father saw him approaching from far off and he greeted him. He actually ran to him. And when the son apologized for what he had done, the father planned a grand celebration. He said, bring me the best shoes, the best robes, you know, kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party because my son was lost and now he's back. And he invited lots of people. But, but what was really interesting is meanwhile, the brother who had stayed 
the entire time, who'd continued to do the work and, and hadn't asked for his inheritance early and had just been probably what we would call you know, the good child, he, he got jealous and upset because the son who had demanded his inheritance had gone and wasted it to go party was getting all this praise and the celebration, right? And, and the meaning is, is clear that we make demands of our heavenly father, we want our blessings and we want our provisions. We want it now. We want it now. And then sometimes we go and do our own thing with it. But when we humbly return to him, we are met with this great rejoicing. And this is the message. Uh, this message is similar in all the parables. The parable of the lost sheep, right? Remember, he leaves his 99 to seek out the one. And we often take hope from considering ourselves the prodigal child that comes running back and our father is so glad. I'm, I'm so glad you're home. I, you know, it's okay what you did. Not really okay, but I forgive you. And I'm just so glad you're here. We kind of identify with that, the prodigal child or, or maybe the lost sheep. But the point of the message, who am I in his story is to consider all of the perspectives and take a lesson from them as well. With the parable of the prodigal son, we can learn from the view of the father, right? Like, what does that mean? And what is the father thinking when this is going on? Can we identify that we, even though we're frustrated and discouraged that he asked for the stuff and blew it, but he came home, right? Or do you see yourselves as the prodigal child, perhaps? We may consider ourselves the older brother. I go to church every week. I do all these things, but I've got illness or I've got financial stress or relationship issue. Why is everybody else getting blessed? Why is that not fair, Right? And sometimes that's hard for us to answer or conceptualize that, that, you know, God looks at it a little differently. Perhaps we are more like the servants. We're watching God work in all these ways and we should be helping to celebrate and return to the lost sheep, right? Or the lost person or to God's side. We're preparing the feast of celebration. We're parting. If so, the charge has to be more uh, than just a bystander. We should be truly rejoicing over the way that God works to save and celebrate. In Jesus' own words found in Luke 15, 10, he says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's how big of a deal it is. Likewise, in verse seven, he says, I tell you in the same way, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Does anybody know 99 people who don't need repentance? Does anybody know one? I can't count myself among it. That is the value. That is the, the good news of these stories. And that Sunday morning, we looked at several parables. The Good Samaritan, which is found in Luke 10, which is this painting up here on, this, on the wall. We, had to, we, can, we considered, do we identify with the traveler that's beaten down? You know, our good brother, Jack, who has just lost his wife and an ill, he probably feels like that man has just been beaten down. You know, where are the good people? What helped me? I'm, I'm here by myself, or that's what he may feel. Perhaps we were the priest of the Levite who, who can and should help, but simply passed by the man who had been beaten down. And we'd all prefer to think that we're the good Samaritan, right? That goes above and beyond to be helpful and Christ-like. But the truth is that sometimes we are like the others. Life is difficult sometimes, and and being beaten down and robbed may be exactly how we feel at times. But don't forget that the other characters, what do you think the innkeeper thought of all this, right? When the Samaritan brought this man and said, you take care of him, give him a place, here's a bunch of money. And he says, and if it costs more, 
I'll pay him for that. The innkeeper's got to be going, wow, there's hope, right? I said this a couple weeks ago. I am so afraid that we're going to lose the ability to see the good in other people because of all that seems to be going on in the world. But this innkeeper, there's hope. Can we identify with that man who's barely mentioned in the story? We so badly want to be the good guy in the story, even just the the main character, right? The one that that God calls by name. But God doesn't always work that way. You see, he more often works quietly through things and through people, moving the pieces around for his good purpose. Don't ever think that your part of the story is any less important because you are the one who witnessed the goodness of God in other situations. The truth is that he has given you a very important role as a courier of the message. Like the other examples he used on that Sunday morning, they're parables. And since the parables are kind of like an allegory, a story that teaches a moral lesson, we have the opportunity to look at it from other people's perspectives. But, but the situation, perhaps some of the innate object, inanimate objects as well, like the story of the sower, right, who threw the seed and, and some fell on good soil and flourished and some fell on weeds and got choked out and some had shallow soil and just came up but then quickly burned up. We can ask ourselves, you know, which soil are we? What is our heart? What is the condition of our heart? Although parables are an excellent teaching tool, this morning we're going to look at some of the real stories of everyday people that also have a message for us. I want to get started with that. You know the name Moses and, and should be familiar with Aaron as well. Exodus 3, 9 through 10 says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. These are God's own words. He says, I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. He's telling Moses, he says, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I love this. It says, and Moses' reply, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring Israelites out of Egypt? Right? He was called. He was specifically spoken to by God and, and, and he's like, oh, he's reluctant. We'll find out why here in a second. Exodus 4, 6, 10 through 16, we find his response. It says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent either in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And he says it again, now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. A couple of months ago, we were talking about how Lord equips us for our calling. And Lord knows us, right? So you don't think that, that God knew that Moses was slow of speech or slow of tongue, however you interpret those to mean. He knew that and he called him. And sometimes he calls us despite, despite what we think is our shortcoming. So we'll pick it up, verse 16. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. So let's skip ahead to verse 27, also in Exodus 4. It says, The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. 
Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard the, it goes on and it says, they, they looked at Moses as almost, you know, the messenger of God, right? He, he performed these signs and Aaron became the, the prophet for him, the speaker. But what's interesting is what happens to Aaron. Exodus 32, the story of the golden calf. When the people saw that Moses was long coming down from the mountain, and Moses had gone up to meet and encounter God, you know, this man, this, this God who had delivered them out of Egypt, that had freed them and was, was leading them, and he says, stay here, camp here. I'm going to go up and, and, and chat, with, chat with God for a little bit, right? So they saw that he was up, and it doesn't say how long, but it says when they saw that he was so long coming down, they gathered around to Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. You know, where's God? Doesn't it seem like sometimes we have these wilderness seasons? And we're saying, where is God in this? Or give me something that I can work on. And, and we are wired to, to kind of think, what do I have to do? The problem is that when that what, are we, what do we have to do becomes the, the checklist. Not the starting point, but the checklist. And unfortunately, Aaron gave in to the peer pressure. He says, Aaron answered them. Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your son, and your daughters were wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off them and brought them to Aaron. He took what they'd handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf fashioning it with a tool. And they said, these are your gods of Israel who brought us up out of Egypt. Now, I'm not saying that this is your God or maybe they're saying this is a physical replication or, or something that we can worship because that guy delivered us. And we know that that's not how it should go. And then Aaron built an altar and, and then it jumps ahead to verse seven. And, and I love this. this is Moses up there having his, his conversation with God and, and God says, then the Lord said to Moses, go down before your people whom you brought up out of Egypt. They have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods of Israel who brought you up out of Egypt. And Moses pleads for him and he says, he says, I know these people and, and you've saved them. And he goes on verse nine through, through 14. He's kind of on their behalf, you know, and even reminds them, he said, you made a promise. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore to your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will give your descendants all this land I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. God makes promises and he doesn't break them. This book is full of promises. And since God does not lie, Anything he said in here is a promise, but he made a covenant promise with them. And he also made a covenant promise with us is, I will never again destroy creation. And Moses reminded him, I'm sure God knew that. But I think Moses maybe, maybe said, had to have Moses think through that a little bit. I saved these people and they've already turned, they've already become corrupt. And he's like, wait a second, they're not that bad. You've already promised to save them. Let's, let's go down there. So my question is this. When we look at stories like this, not just parables, but actual stories in the Bible, in your life, are you more like Moses? Are you hesitant to do what God commanded you to do? Do you have an excuse, a valid excuse in your mind? I'm not the one. You know, God, send someone else. I'll do anything you ask, but not that. 
We make excuses. I'm slow in tongue. I, I don't know scripture that well. A lot of this stuff we can fix, right? We can dive in the word. But a lot of the stuff, God will equip you. If he calls you to it, he will equip you. If he hasn't already done that. And are you like Moses to deliver God's word to others around you? God used him. Or maybe you can identify more like Aaron. You know, a good wingman for someone doing God's work, Right? You're the powerful one, but I'll be the speech. You know, I'm right there. I've got your back, Moses. Let me talk to him for you. Because the second set of God-given skills were there to compliment Moses. Okay, Moses, you've got faith, but not the words. I've got the words. Let's go do this. And are you like Aaron that sometimes you succumb to the peer pressure? Right now, there's a lot of pressure in the name of fair and equality and the stuff that that you know, we're a little more hesitant to talk about our faith and our God and the hope we have. In your life, in your life do you maybe identify as the Israelites? You feel like you're in this wilderness season, desperate for someone to lead you, someone, anything. Moses, okay, that'll work. Oh, I don't have a Moses in my life. Give me something I can focus on. Impatient, even skeptical at times for God to do what he has promised to do for you. What about that man, Noah? His story is found in Genesis 6. And I, again, I encourage you to read these stories for yourself. And before you open the, the word, you know, say a prayer and say, God, what does he want me to hear? What does he want me to learn? But we knew what happened. You know, Noah was an upright man, God says. And he says, I will spare this man and his family. He gave him very specific instructions. Here's what I want you to build. Here's how I want you to build it. And I want you to have two of every animal. And we discovered again this morning, there there were seven pairs of two of animals that he also called, right? We remember the song, the animals came two by twos, but they're also, there's more to the story there. And you forget that if you're not reading the word in context. But in your life, are you like Noah? Are you an upright person? This is God's definition of upright. Are you a commandment follower despite popular opinion? You know, if you went and started building an ark out here in the lawn, other than thinking it's a playground, people would think you're nuts, right? But if God gave you an instruction with very clear directions, would you follow them? Would you use the specific tools and instructions God gives you in order to do his will? Because I assure you, God has equipped you with something, with something. It could be a gift of teaching. It could be a gift of, of an administration. It could be a gift of serving others. You know these things. They're wired in your heart. And God says, why don't you use them for me? Maybe you're more like Noah's family. You're kind of along for the ride, benefiting from the faithfulness of others. And maybe you're like Noah's neighbors. You, you kind of see the, the guy on the corner the, that says, you know, the end is near. Or maybe, maybe it's the person going door to door just trying to share the word or, or handing out a Bible tract. And you're like, is that guy crazy? Or maybe he's just obedient. One more name I want to throw out, and this is Naaman. And I've finally corrected myself. It's Naaman. But I'll, I'll probably still call him Naaman by mistake. And his story is found in 2 Kings 5. Again, really want to encourage you to read these for yourself. But I'm going to summarize it for you. Naaman was a commander of the army of Syria. And he was very well known for all that he had accomplished. And, he had, you know, and all the victories that God had brought to him. Yet, yet he was a leper. 
okay? He had this disease which people considered to be unclean and gross, and he tried to cover it up and hide it the best he could because he was in all accounts a, a local celebrity hero. Now his wife had a servant from Israel who said there's a prophet who would be able to heal him. And Ammon tells his Lord, you know, his boss, he says, and he, and he asked him, and he said, will you send a letter to Israel with, you know, asking about this? You know, will you use some of your influence to help me get healed? And so the king of Israel didn't know what to do. In fact, he said, I'm, you know, I can't heal people, but he knew Elisha. And Elisha had sent to the king this message. And he said, tell the king to tell Naaman to come see him. And Elisha then told Naaman to go and bathe in the Jordan River seven times and he would be clean. Think about that, okay? He said, I'm gonna be healed and I have faith. I'm gonna, you know, I, my wife's servant said that there's this guy in this far off land that can do it. I got, got some influence. I'm gonna go see this guy and what are his instructions? I mean, I wanted him to wave his hands or, or do something magical. And he says, go clean yourself in the river, this river in another land. He says, seven times. Again, just like Noah, here are some clear instructions. Now we're gonna skip it uh, up to verse 11. It says, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord as God. Wave on his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. There it is, right? There's the magic abracadabra. Are not Abana and far, far, far part of the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? If I'm gonna bathe, I'm gonna do it here, right? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Now, are we like that? We want our blessing, but we kind of want our way. This is the job I want. This is, this is the thing that I want. And God's saying, that's not what I'm offering you. I often need something better. But Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not have done it? How much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. And as the man of God had told him, as Flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answers, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Now a servant of Elisha, his name is Gehazi, seeing that Naaman had turned away the offering uh, God's offering, he ran after him. And he did, you know what he did? He lied. It says he ran after him and falsely asked for clothing and silver from the visitors. He said, you know, Elisha changed his mind. I'll, I'll be taking that. And God punished him, okay? So here's the question. Are you like Naman? Do you have something in your life that, that you try to cover up this, this uncleanness? And God's saying, here's all you've got to do. And by the way, if that's a sin, he said, just bring it to the cross and ask for forgiveness. Are you too proud for that? Or are you gonna follow my simple instruction? Or do you think it can be done something in some way that's easier, more magical? He goes, no, it's simple. Bathe in the river seven times. No, it's simple. Come to the cross. Or are you like Naman's wife? Do you have, you've heard of this good news and you, you connect people. Or maybe you're like one of the servants. Now these servants, you have to think about, they're very brave. You know, here's Naman, this great warrior from all accounts from we understand. And a servant went to him and said, if the prophet told you to do something great, would you have not have done it? He's like, you idiot. Go dip yourself in the river. That takes courage. 
are you like that? Are you brave enough to say something when you see something that should be done and it's not being done? Or are you like Elisha's servant? Hey, we deserve that. I'm going to go ahead and take that. Again, what about the people that witness these things? Would you be changed if you had seen them for your own eyes? Would you share the message of what you had seen or learned? Would you run off in excitement and say, guess what I saw? Guess what happened? The Lord is good. I mean, isn't that after all what we're called to do? You know, even our prayer requests and our praises are opportunities to celebrate the good things that are happening in lives. The good diagnosis, the good lab result, the, you know, the, the time we get to spend with family, the safe travels, right? Yay, God. Now, I want to share a story that's a little more contemporary. You guys know the name Pendulette of Penn and Teller fame, right? The magicians. Now, I'll give you a little background. He does a little blog, a little video blog, and I, I've used this, gosh, it's probably been four years since I brought this up, but it's really interesting, and you'll see him after stage, and he's just kind of, you know, what he does, and it's very just candid conversation. He's got his webcam on. He's just talking about something that happened. If you indulge me, I'd love to share this testimony. talk to you about this uh i get home from the show and at the end of the show as i've mentioned before we go out and we uh we talk to folks and you know sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on and there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what i call the hover position after i was all done big guy probably about my age big guy and um he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, uh, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, "I brought this for you," and he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. 
but he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. Interesting to troubling. Isn't it strange to hear someone say, now I know there's no God. I... Anyway, that's really interesting. And there were a couple thoughts that I, I, I took away from that. He kept saying, I know this is a very good man. I know this is a very good man. Now he may not believe in God, but God wired him to know the difference between right and wrong and good and bad and good and evil, right? Um, it gets skewed if you aren't in touch with God and his direction for your life. But he knows what is good, and he started describing these things that we considered Christ-like traits. He was good and compassionate and honest. And he kept saying, and he was, he was saying, right? He was saying, God will use people for his good purposes, even if they aren't aware of it, and certainly if they're against it, and, he, and sometimes even if they don't claim that they even know God. I'd like to assume, by your presence and participation this morning, that, that you believe in God. So it may be difficult for you to consider yourself someone like Penn Jillette and say, no, I know there's no God. But remember that anytime you try to take control of something that is not yours to control, if you're taking credit for God's blessings in your life, if you're worried about things that are that actually in his control, have you ever thought you might be saying, there is no God, I have no faith in him because I don't trust him to take care of this or I, I can do a better job. Now that's a pretty extreme example, but consider it that way. 
If you know there is a God, then you know he's in control. And yes, there are times when then you're worried and anxious, but there is this sense of peace, right? That scripture says surpasses understanding. It doesn't make sense how I can go through this, but be okay because I know God's got it. I share this often. Some of the things in my life I prayed so fervently against that God didn't answer those prayers made some of the best things in my life today. What about the courage of this man to approach Penn? You know, he could, he could have torn him apart on the same video. He could have made fun of him in the show. He could have insulted him right there at the front of the stage in front of everybody. But he, did you see the pause in what he said? And then he said something so powerful that it's its own message. He says, if you truly believe that someone's going to go to hell, if you truly believe that they should live eternally, he goes, how much do you have to hate someone to not do something about it? And he goes on to say, if there was a bus coming towards you, at some point I'm going to tackle you, right? And he says, that is more important than this. He may say he's an atheist, but he gets it. Listen to his words. That's that much more important than this. For me, the greatest message in the short video is how the story of how God is using the self-proclaimed atheist to further his, meaning God's message. Literally millions of people have watched this video and downloaded it. And I wonder how many are watching and walking away saying, Penn is right, there's no God. Or saying, wow, that man was good, right? And you're getting a little affirmation. There's good people and there's good characteristics. I want to be described like that. What can I do to be more like him? Or maybe that was an aha moment where you say, man... It is that big of a deal to save myself and others. That answer isn't for us to know. Our faith and hope, and we know that God will work everything to his good purpose. And that, that's a scriptural promise. So, you know, when, when that man handed the Gideon's Bible, and by the way, Psalms is not in the New Testament. When that man handed him the Gideon's Bible, he was using his role and responsibility to further the kingdom, to restore God's good creation, that man and everything was good. And his responsibility to some degree ended when he did that. You know, we often say, well, I don't want to give money to the guy in the corner who's going to turn and buy cigarettes or alcohol. Whatever, where was your heart when you gave the money? That's your responsibility. I'm going to tell someone about the Lord. They say on average, and this maybe this has changed, but seven times before someone really accepts that invitation. Are you number one, number four? Maybe you're number seven. But does that mean that number one or number four does not matter? Who are you in his story? He's working through you. We took a little time this morning to look at a few stories, and and this week I want to issue a challenge and, and maybe even one of those risky prayers I like to talk about. I challenge us, and I'm including myself, to open the Bible for ourselves to read a story and say, who am I in this story? Who should I be? Who do I want to be? Let me make some suggestions. Consider Joseph. And that's a longer read. Starts Genesis 37 and goes through 44. But read the story of Joseph and all that he went through and the people he interacted through from the Pharaoh to his brothers to, to all that and say, who am I? Am I capable of saying you did something wrong, but God used it for good? Are you capable of seeing God's bigger purpose in your life? Are you like one of the brothers that said, I really wronged you and I'm, I'm embarrassed or I, I, you know, I'm scared to come face you? Or this morning in our Bible study time, we, we, we were studying Acts and we were in Acts 9 and the story of Paul and Ananias. 
again, there's an interesting story. And are you like one or the other? I'll leave that for you to read and decide. Acts 9. And consider Job and ask yourself if you're like him or perhaps his family or friends that wonder, how could he still have any faith in God after all he has endured despite working so hard to be a good person? And ask yourself, who am I in this story? Who should I be? Now, this is an invitation, an invitation for you to open God's word. And if you don't know where to start and and these suggestions aren't really speaking, you come talk to me, right? That's what I do. Let's sit down and let's, let's get some direction and let's ask God. That's my challenge for the week. My risky prayer, remember risky prayer is like, hey, Lord, teach me patience and then get you stuck in traffic or long line at Walmart. That's a risky prayer because you're putting yourself out there and God say, okay, you want to do this? I'll, I'll do that. But my risky prayer is inspired by the Apostle Paul's words and, and they're found in Romans 15.4. He says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and encouragement they provide, we might have hope. There's lessons to be learned. Here's my risky prayer for us, that we will have the opportunities this week to experience, observe, and share a lesson taught to us by the word of God and by the actions of God in our lives and the lives of those around us. My risky prayer is that we're going to have an opportunity, and that may mean we might go through a Naaman kind of situation. We may have to be, put ourselves out there and walk across a room and talk to someone or answer a question of someone who's got a question about, and it won't be worded this way, I promise, the hope you have. Why is that a risky prayer? Because God may allow you to be in a position such as Naaman's where we need healing, right? Physical, mental, or emotional. And we may have to do something that we question in order to be better. Because God may give you an opportunity and instruction to do something that, and he will equip you to do it, perhaps with specific instructions like he gave Noah, perhaps with a partner like he did with Moses and Aaron, perhaps just a nudge and courage from the Holy Spirit to approach someone with good news like the man did for Pendulette. My prayer is that we have these opportunities, that we don't miss a single one, so that all the glory for what he does and will continue to do goes to him that deserves it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are, a loving Father that cares Through the ages, you have put into words a book, the Bible, that we can turn to for instructions and guidance, stories of inspiration, words of lament as we we struggle. But Lord, let's remember it's a tool and all praise and glory goes to you. So let us seek you first, you and your righteousness. Lord, let us turn to you and ask us, what do these words mean? What do you want me to hear? What do you want me to do? And let us be in tune with that nudge that that you send that, that tells us where we should go or where we shouldn't go and get out of your way and know that even though the things we want so desperately bad that you've got good intentions for us. Lord, where our will lines up with yours, hooray. Lord, we thank you in advance for that answered prayer. Where our our wishes are different than yours, Lord, help us to understand that your will, not ours, be done. And Lord, the hardest of all, when we have to wait patiently while you're moving some of those pieces around, while we reside in this wilderness season, help us to remember that you are in control of all. We lift up our praise, our life,
our heart, our soul, everything to you. In your son's name we pray, amen.